questions are generative and they keep expanding and causing more questions. And I've realized that if I get to a spot where I'm not asking questions anymore, then I'm probably either apathetic or cynical. And cynicism and apathy are, are confining and constricting. They can't coexist with curiosity since curiosity is generative and expansive. We are always pumped to get on the air, to introduce you to another amazing guest. And I had the opportunity to interview Steph O'Brien. And uh, Steph comes to us from Minnesota with a message that I think is particularly helpful today. It is about the power of questions. And her book, Stay Curious, is a great book. And it's got an incredible message for us today about questions. But I think questions have gotten a bad rap many times. So David, Why do you think we in Christian culture can be scared of questions? Well, I think questions, um, they're uncomfortable because questions generally fly in the face of this idea of certainty. We know what's out there. We know the answer. We always have the answer. And it's a more comfortable feeling to have, even if it's a pat answer, even if it's an answer that's only partial or it's a kind of a you know, generic answer. I think, especially in ministry, we'd rather have the answers than wrestle with questions. Um, We're afraid of, you know, what it might dig up in our own lives, in the lives of others that are asking the questions. And so I think generally certainty is much more comfortable, even if we're just fooling ourselves um, with some of these tough topics that are, are a little more complicated than sometimes we want them to be. Steph debunks a lot of questions that we have about questions or intense thoughts that we have about questions. In a later episode, we'll actually talk about questions again with my brother, J.R. Briggs, who actually got his doctorate in questions. So that's a fascinating conversation with him. But David, you and I are passionate about questions because of the transforming power of them. I mean, coaching is literally based on that. We have conversations with people and they are formed and shaped and even transformed through those powerful questions that maybe nobody has ever asked them. And sometimes in a session, I'm sure this has happened to you before, David, people say something out loud that they've never said before. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, have have you ever said that before? And I can kind of hear and feel surprise when I see their face and hear it in their voice. And so I, I just think shaping and forming people through questions is so important today. I think this is a crucial message that we need to grab hold of. And uh, Steph's just, she's a great communicator, also a seminary professor, and gets to shape students in that way, as well as in her congregation there in Minneapolis. So I love this conversation. And uh, I also just love the title of the book, Stay Curious. And I feel like I just kind of want to intro this by saying, friends, enjoy this episode, this conversation. Stay curious, my friends. excited to welcome to the podcast today, Stephanie Williams O'Brien. She's a pastor, a podcaster, seminary professor, and an author. And we are excited to talk about her new book, Stay Curious. So Steph, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So maybe the most important question today, is Minnesota as cold as we imagine in the winter? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is. You're just preparing right now. Like you're just digging in. I, you know, I'm huge piles of wood, like coats everywhere. Like, is this the season that you go, oh, dang. Layers, 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 layers. Yes. Um, 
you know, honestly, the the hardest part for me is the transition between what what I think are incredibly beautiful summer, spring, summer, and fall to the winter. But once you're there and you have the right clothing and it's snowing and it's beautiful, I, I find it to be something that I ex- like. I'm excited for. It definitely goes on too long. So once you get to about like February twentieth, you're like, okay, this needs to be done. But it is it is very cold and there is a lot of snow and I think the climate change experience we've had up here is actually just causing our weather to be more erratic and more unpredictable. <laughs> so uh, it's it's still very, very cold at times. And then other times it's unseasonably warm and it's just confusing. But we like to say up here in the north, the bold north, as we like to call it, that we are just very hardy people who can stand anything because if you can live through sub-zero temps, then you can do anything. So <laughs> that's our claim to fame. I'll give it to you. Yeah, resilience. Yeah. I mean, it's got it's to do something to the soul beyond the beyond the body. Steph, you're doing a lot. Uh, walk us through uh, maybe the constellation of things that is your life, leadership, and ministry. Yeah, totally, totally. I find that I feel most alive and most myself when I get a chance to kind of, I think, like toggle through different areas of leadership. And so I don't work full-time anywhere, even at the church that I started. Um, I never have, actually. Uh, I, I see myself as co-vocational. So I, I I work as a church planter, a lead pastor of a church called Mill City Church in the heart of urban Minneapolis and uh, planted that church 11 years ago. Ner- my church just planted its first baby church about uh, six months ago, North City Church. So I'm super excited about that. I love to see more church planting come from our church. And um, then I teach at Bethel Seminary, which is a, a seminary in St. Paul, which is really close to Minneapolis and Twin Cities, they call them. And I teach mostly preaching classes there and some uh, communication leadership classes with seminary students, some who of which are preparing to go into to pastoral leadership. But of course, um, we need leaders who are trying to follow Jesus in any setting. And so a lot of times people are there to learn for different reasons. Um, but then, yes, I love coaching leaders. I do some group coaching, some one-on-one coaching. Um, I do a podcast on leadership with my friend Joe Saxon called the Lead Stories Podcast. And it's really like leadership coaching through a podcast, similar to this one. I think in a lot of ways, just the the fact that we all need coaches, we all need help, we all need motivation, encouragement, uh, encouragement to keep going and encouragement to slow down, whatever it is. And um, so Joe and I do that together. And then, yes, the most the most recent add to my resume, I guess, is author. So I'm still a little bit, you know, it's still that fresh. It's that fresh for me. I think somebody on a plane, she saw me writing on my laptop and she said, oh, are you a writer? And I said, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, she probably Believe was surprised. Believe it or not, I she am. She was surprised that I seemed a little surprised by my answer. But, um, but, you know, I'm very extroverted. I love being with people. So the fact that I would sit down and write enough to fill a book is a little bit miraculous, but it actually was very life-giving to me. So on the topic of kind of um, how to stay just great in your well-being, like I found that it was a really positive thing for my well-being to have this time away to write and to to think about those people, but not actually be with those people <laughs> um, as I was preparing to, to share those words with them. So that's actually a really um, surprisingly good experience for me um, as far as just my, my life balance. I feel the same. I feel like to, to pull away from people, it's so good. First, it's a gift to us as writers, and then everybody else gets to kind of feed off the seconds and the leftovers in yeah. that. And I know that it's a huge labor labor of love and congratulations. And thanks for all the ways you're equipping leaders I and mean, so many different pockets of leaders 
opportunities. We need people coaching. We need people leading, shaping others in seminary. So thanks for all of what you're doing, Steph. And I'm excited to dig in on the message of this book. So it is no joke writing a book. It's a labor of love. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like it beats it out of you uh, by, by the end of that time maybe the freshness from the beginning. So why did you undertake this message? Why did this message matter so much to you to commit so much time in producing, creating, and eventually launching it? Yeah, that's a great question. Because it's if you don't know that why, I don't know how people do it, honestly. Um, I think for me, there's a number of ways I could respond to that. And that's probably part of it, right? That there was multiple reasons why. But I think at the core of it, it's been thousands of conversations I've had with people on this topic. And learning what conversations are helpful and what are not um, the hard way sometimes. And then also people who had these conversations with me about my doubts, my questions about faith, my, my questions about life. I mean, really about anything. Um, you put all those conversations together and recognizing what it would mean to have a summary of some of those conversations and then some tools that have been developed and learned over time about how people can keep moving forward with in the midst of these types of questions and doubts and wrestling. I mean, there's lots of ways to put it. And I just, uh, there's just been so many people. I just, I think of stay curious and I think of the, the fact that whether I've said that phrase to somebody, you know, Hey, I want you to stay curious or not. I don't know exactly, but thousands of faces go through my head of conversations I've had with people, either small groups or one-on-one or sometimes large groups. And Um, So I see it as a tool, like I wrote down some of the things that were helpful as a tool for the people who reading is a way that they engage difficult things in their life. And I know that's not true for everybody that podcasts and uh, videos and one on one coaching, there's so many different venues. But to me, it just felt like summarizing a lot of what I've learned felt really right and really helpful. And, um, and I just I, I commit that tool to people hoping that it will help them if it's right for them, you know, and um, that's just really been exciting to see and to be able to be a part of and, and to know how much I'm passing on what people have invested in me as well as somebody who has been a curious person my whole life and the amount of people who tolerated that <laughs> and celebrated it and welcomed it and wrestled with me and held that space for me. Um, I know a lot of people didn't have that in their life. And so it's meant a ton to me to have that. And I'm, I'm so excited to pass it on for people. Awesome. So... Uh, you talk about the exodus and in relationship, mm-hmm. that narrative of the exodus um, related to questions. Can you explore yeah. that a little bit for us? Yeah, I, I find the exodus narrative to be so intriguing. I mean, this is totally a pastor thing to say, but the Bible is so intriguing to me. <laughs> like it is just so interesting and strange and like confusing and wonderful and maddening. I just think I once I once was at a church and they had a little sign that said the Bible is the worst. And I just thought that was so funny because <laughs> it is because it's like it exposes you and exposes so many things about humanity. And of course, main point, the main character is God and how all these humans are trying to respond to God. But I just think it's really fascinating because the Exodus story is kind of told and retold throughout the, the meta narrative or the big story of God. And you see this idea of God calling people out of a place and like into wilderness. And it's so interesting because every time it's God that seems to be at least the way the narrative is suggested that. God's leading people into this space of wilderness. And so God's leading the people out of um, Egypt, for instance, in the main, in when we think of the phrase, the Exodus, that's what we think of. But we also see the spirit of God lead Jesus into the wilderness. We see in Acts, like the, the people starting the early church kind of 
seemingly being wandering around. I mean, we've got those nice little maps in the back of our Bible where it's like, oh, look at the missionary journey Paul went on. It's like that guy didn't know where he was going. He was wandering through following the Holy Spirit towards these different spaces that he ended up being in. And I just think there's some really powerful things for us to recognize about how what what that space must mean if God thinks it's good for people to be led into it. And uh, and certainly that it's not a place that God intends for people to stay, the story would suggest as well. But um, I mean, the story of leading God's people out of Egypt, I mean, Egypt, the the word that was often used for it by the people of, of, of God meant like the narrow place, like a narrow place. And the geography is actually pretty narrow if you look at it with the water and everything. And so the Israelites were literally expanding, like there was too many people and they were growing and expanding. And that was part of what was causing this tension. And they didn't fit in that, that narrow place and they had to get out of there for many reasons, including oppression, of course. And so uh, the idea of them being led out of a narrow place into an expansive wilderness, but that was terrible for them. It was so terrifying, right? And it was so um, disconcerting and so many of those things. And I resonate with them and I can totally imagine. And it seems crazy you'd want to go back into a place of bondage, but when you feel the expansive experience of wilderness, I think it makes sense. It's 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 nerve wracking and, and anxiety producing. And, um, and so I think it's in those moments that, wilderness experience that I think many people, as we read that story, you think of times in your life, maybe time you're in right now, where you say, okay, yeah, I would like to go back to the cozy, narrow place, but you can't go back in. It's like trying to wear a coat that you don't fit in anymore when you're a little kid or trying to go back into a spot that you've outgrown. You can't go back in. You've expanded now. And then you turn around and you think, oh man, I'm in the wilderness now. What do I do? And I kind of, I, I think there's multiple ways to respond to that, but I was kind of hoping to, to bring some clarity by saying, I think we have two main options and that's wandering through the wilderness and then wandering through the wilderness. And what I mean by that is just wandering has this sense of kind of wringing your hands and not knowing what to do and feeling deflated, defeated, trying to keep moving, but not having any sense of why you're going in any direction that you're going in. And then wondering, I think, is that sense of, I think there might be a reason I'm out here. And if I were to try to pay attention to some of these reasons, maybe I would not just go, you know, wander from place to place, but I would wonder and and then that would cause me to move as I navigate this terrain, trying to figure out how to get out, eventually out, right, of the wilderness and and what might happen along the way. And I think you see that even in that story of the Exodus as they begin to follow the pillar of fire and you know, there's a sense of, are we just going aimlessly? But there is actually this little hint of like, just follow this. Can you do that? And um, I don't know. I don't know if anybody like loves that story, but I think most of us can resonate with it. Yeah. And how many times we go back just, even though it was bad, at least I had a little bit of security. At least I had a little bit of understanding back in that space. Uh, So applicable today. I love how you explain the difference between those because many times we've villainized wondering. And yet we are people of questions at Stay Forth. We're huge fans of the question. Dig in and to learn and be drawn into the Father deeper in that. uh, I love that. So, uh, Steph, let me get personal with you. How have questions saved your faith? Yeah, it is an interesting decision for me to end up with the subtitle, How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith. Because, of course, Many times I think the the gut reaction would be questions and doubts will lead to losing your faith. Um, but I just, I really think, I, I think for me at the core, I just don't know that I could believe in a God that I could fully understand. 
And when I've gotten to places in my understanding of God and faith that feel like they have a period at the end of the sentence, I thought that I'd feel good about that, but it actually makes me feel uh, apathetic or frustrated or confused because as a finite human, I've then reduced God to a sense of something I can understand. And I find it difficult to worship a God like that and to give, uh, to surrender my life to a God that I can get my head around and to be willing to risk or to be willing to go through, you know, wilderness, like you said, like you're talking about, or um, I know you guys have covered topics like change and like, if God's bringing us through change, what does that mean? And I have to believe that God is bigger than my finite mind can understand if I'm going to keep, keep giving my all to this God. And I know that can seem almost like, how can you, how can you completely trust a God you can't understand? But I actually really think it's the opposite. Because if, if I can fully understand a God, then what's, what's worth worshiping that being um, in that way? Um, and so I, I think it does come down to whether or not those questions lead you to a place of trusting God or not. And trust and faith are not the same as certainty. They're just not. Even, even assurance. I've been thinking about the word assurance. Like mm-hmm. I think there's a sense of feeling, a sense of peace and assurance about something that I don't know for sure. And I wonder if that's okay. You know, I mean, just to give a, a specific example for me. So as a, as a woman who's a woman in ministry, um, I, I absolutely, I, I, I significantly value the Bible. I see it as the only authoritative writing that we have from God. Everything else is secondary. And so I value what the Bible says. But like I said, it's so confusing and it's so difficult. And so I did my fair share of work to theologically understand topics about gender and what it means for women to be leaders in the church and, and, and came to a conclusion through much study that, that women are called to any role in the church in, as leaders. And I know people who are super faithful who've come to different conclusions who I think are elevating scripture just like me. And so I, I feel a, a pretty deep sense of assurance about that, like that, that God has called me to do the work that I do. And I don't question that anymore. I don't, I don't wonder. There's nothing that any man or woman or person could say that makes me think maybe I'm wrong. But the, at the end of the day, do I, to, do I know for certain? Am I absolutely sure that this is exactly what God wants? I don't know, you know, but I feel assured in that part of my life at this time, but also humble enough to know like God is the God of all truth. And someday I'll know and experience that when I'm with God. But can I have enough humility to say certainty is a myth? And so all I can have is assurance and peace and one step at a time you know, letting those questions lead me to new places. So the assurance I have in that question leads me to ask ask more questions now though. Like, okay, if this is my calling, what now and how and what and who and and who am I now helping to raise up and to create space for as a leader? Questions are generative and they keep expanding and causing more questions. And I've realized that if I get to a spot where I'm not asking questions anymore, then I'm probably either apathetic or cynical and cynicism and apathy are are confining and constricting. They can't coexist with curiosity since curiosity is generative and expansive. And I want that to be true almost because I'm a little bit of a cynical person by nature. I want it to be true that I can be cynical and also be curious, but I just don't think, I think it's a little bit more like oil and water than we want it to be. And uh, choosing to stay curious has definitely saved my faith in that way. What we celebrate says a lot about us. And we are really excited to tell you about something new that we are going to celebrate in a new way that we have never done before. At Stay Forth Designs, we are trying to change the tide of Christian leadership. We want to change what we celebrate. 
from just things that are big, things that are impressive and things that are on stages to things that are deep in people's lives that are about health that eventually can produce impact. And so we believe that kingdom leaders and teams and churches need to actually change what we celebrate. There's so many people who are taking risks to cultivate long-term health in themselves and those around them. And we believe they are heroes. That's right, heroes. So we want to celebrate them. And so we are releasing a new opportunity for you to celebrate other leaders called the Right Side Up Awards. If you see a leader that is living right side up, that is investing in other people, maybe an organization, a church, somebody that is living that story, that it is about workmanship first and then works, identity and then impact, we want you to nominate them for the Right Side Up Awards. Here's how it works. You'll go to our website, stayforth.com, that's S-T-A-Y-F-O-R-T-H.com, and you will see a button to nominate someone in the month of November so that they can receive a Right Side Up Leader Award. Whether they are just a leader, an organization, a church, they are leading the way for health and impact. We want to celebrate them. At the end of the month, we will be announcing who won those awards, and we will get a chance to bless them, spoil them, celebrate them, and even bring them on the podcast to receive their award. So go ahead and go to stayforth.com. Sorry, you can't nominate yourself, but nominate a leader, a team, an organization, or a church that you see leading the way to live right side up in an upside down world. That's well said, and it is a choice that many times, if we're not careful, we're just going to slip toward cynicism and skepticism that is normal in our culture. That is not remarkable. That is not different. That is not winsome. No. Um, and I love asking, what are you curious about right now? Because doesn't that say so much about what are you asking questions about? What are you exploring? What are you leaning into? Where's that sense of wonder for you? So you preach and you lead and you teach preaching mm-hmm. as well. Um, how has this idea of questions shaped your preaching? Because many would think that questions are opposed to the proclamation of truth. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it has it has shaped my preaching a ton. Um, in fact, I think the fact that I was someone who was pursuing curiosity while I was learning to become a preacher has really shaped who I am as a preacher. And I, you know, I'm always encouraging people to find their voice and some people's voices uh, are a little bit more... Um, definitive and black and white and proclamation from a, with a period at the end of the sentence, like I said earlier. But I think for me, what I'm hoping to, to stir up in people's minds and hearts are questions that lead them to a sense of, I use the word tension often when I talk about it in, in preaching class. Like we want to create a healthy tension in people's life that leads to a sense of motivation to step into something new in their life. That preaching is different than teaching in that it's transformational, not just informational. And so, um, I think that it's it's delicate and it's difficult in some ways, but I'm often like really pushing people to consider something versus saying, I know this to be true and I absolutely think you need to agree with me, but pushing people into that wrestling themselves and saying like, how do you, how do you take Jesus seriously about what he's saying here, you know, and some of those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> bringing up a lot of questions through my preaching, like that you'll hear me ask a lot of questions throughout my preaching, oftentimes my like main points are questions people should ask themselves. Um, that certainly might lead to towards something uh, like or they definitely lead towards something. So like a, a takeaway might be where can you find some time to get away and bring questions that you have to Jesus, you know, the way that Nicodemus did. Um, 
so there's some aspect of my saying, hey, I think that Jesus is trustworthy with your questions. And I try to make sure that there's space for people to intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually wrestle with what I'm saying so that they can come to some of their own conclusions. And um, at the same time, giving people some tracks to run on, because I do think that that's what, when it comes to a lack of curiosity, when people feel apathy or cynicism, I think it's just another way of saying that people get stuck. And so I, I really want preaching and leadership and coaching in general to not give people answers, but help them ask good questions and then also give them some tracks to run on towards getting unstuck from the way those questions are holding them back. I, I think that having your question answered is not the same as getting unstuck from how that question is holding you back. Sometimes we can get unstuck from questions that are holding us back from things in life and never even find some answers, but still keep start moving again and get out of that quicksand experience that some of us feel we're experiencing in those aspects of life. I totally agree. And my perspective on this was shifted when I got to sit in a courtroom for a whole day and hear this lawyer lead the whole courtroom, lead the action, um, lead this really procession toward truth uh, by carefully placed questions. I don't know that he made a statement all day long and yet led us to this space and got paid a lot of money, I'm sure, in the process by asking questions. Coaches, counselors, um, asking the right questions to go, ah, that was what was lodged there. So I, I agree 100%. And I think we need to continue to infuse it in preaching to have that question that's going to mess with people and keep them up at night so that they have to go to the Almighty instead of just us, you know, like a carefully filled in outline. Uh, I love that. So take me to a moment where maybe you were in a conversation, or maybe it was after one of those questions in, in your preaching, where the idea that you can wonder, the idea that you can ask good and big and dangerous questions was actually freeing to someone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, what came to mind right away is actually a conversation, a one-on-one conversation with someone from my community. And um, we're, my community is, um, you know, we, we planted this church when we were 25 and 30. I don't know what we were thinking, but <laughs> we did. And now here, 10, 11 years later, our congregation's growing by generational diversity in some ways that are really exciting. I mean, one of the areas of growth we've had are people over 50. And I've been praying that God would bring people in that demographic to our church because we've got all these people who are about to have teenagers. And if that doesn't bring you to like perplexity as a human trying to raise teenagers, I can't imagine what what does. And I don't actually have my own kids, but I love teenagers and I love the questions they ask. But um, one of my one of the parents of a of these budding teenagers came to me and said, "My my teenager was asking me this question about faith, and you know, as they were asking me the question, I realized I don't think I believe what I believed as a kid anymore, and I didn't realize my faith had shifted on this, and now I don't think I know what I believe about this. What should I tell my teenager?" <laughs> and I said, "You should tell them that you don't know what you think about it." And she was like, oh, "I can't do that," and I was like, "No, you definitely can." You can definitely tell your teenager that is such a good question. In fact, I thought I knew what I thought about that. And I'm growing as a person and I'm wrestling and I've got some different thoughts. Why don't we try to figure out some answers about it together? And why don't we just keep asking questions? Because I don't think it was good that I got to spots when I was really young where I thought I knew everything anyway. And she was just like, this is the most freeing conversation that I've had about parenting in a very long time. And I just think for her to have that conversation with her 14 year old son, like the power and authority that 
you want to have as a parent, right? You want to have authority in your kid's life. Of course you do. But to say, I don't know, I think actually gives a ton of authority because you're showing them that you're a human being who is going to be there for them when they don't know. And I just think how cool. And so that's, that came to mind right away when you asked that question. And of course, one of the, one of the bummers as a preacher is not knowing kind of how those words always land with people um, as they go. But uh, you know, I've found people, one of the things that people have said to me the most about my preaching, but also about the book is um, thanks for putting words to something that I'm, I'm experiencing. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest gifts we can give people as communicators is the vocabulary and the different perspectives. You know, you could talk about something in three different ways. It's the same thing, but you use three different sentences and it helps people understand themselves and other people in the world and God in a new way. And giving people vocabulary to express the experiences that are most meaningful in their life. Like what an opportunity. And I have no shortage of words. That's definitely not an area. I've got other issues, but shortages of words is not one of them. And so seeing it as a gift to people to not say, here's what you think now you need to agree with me, but to say, here's some words to talk about an experience like this. I wonder where you're at. And then opening up that world to them. Because I think uh, people often say the phrase words create worlds. And I think that that's an opportunity that we have as leaders, as long as we don't, like I keep saying, like put periods at the end of sentences for people when I think most things in life are kind of a dot, dot, dot or a semicolon or <laughs> something else, you know? Mm, that's good. Steph, what's a hard question you're wrestling with right now? You know, I, I, I think that this is going to feel common to many people, but you know, that we've used lots of different phrases to describe it, but kind of like the problem of evil or the problem of pain and suffering. And, you know, I think in my head, I can understand how suffering God can use that in our life, but we've got a couple families in my church where their little tiny babies are really going through some really bad stuff. And, you know, it's heartbreaking for me to see anybody go through something, but these little helpless little babies having these crazy, crazy surgeries and things when they're so little, like I just, I just turn to God and I might have a couple swear words for God sometimes about that. Like, why is this going on? And what are we supposed to learn from this? And you know, I think it's completely normal to have those experiences and feelings. What I don't think is normal is that people think they can be honest with God about how, about how that feels. And um, I just really think God can handle our questions, even even ones that include maybe a couple swear words. Um, I, think, I think Jesus can handle it. I think God can handle it. I think it's different than telling God that you're rejecting God. It's a way of pressing into that relationship and being honest. And, you know, a lot of humans, they can't handle our questions. They can't handle our anxiety. They can't handle the the tension that comes with things like the problem of evil is a pretty big one. Um, but God can handle it. And uh, Jesus isn't anxious about our anxiety. And um, I found a lot of peace in being able to cry out to God in that lament. But, but yeah, I'm just like, why does this have to be this way for these families? It just, it just doesn't make sense. And trying to make sense of it just makes it worse, honestly, at, at the times when it's this bad, you know, and people are suffering that badly. So I mean, that has been one of them, to be completely honest, um, in my life. And then I think um, another one, just to, to make it into a little more more practical moment, um, I, I'm really wrestling in, in a good way, I think, with just how people in their, in their vocations, in their work life can really join in what God's doing. I, we talk a ton about integrating our faith and our vocation of all types of vocations at my church. Um, but just hearing people talk about the expectations they have in their workplace and the, the one person was saying like, you know what, people just kind of lie a lot and it's not even questioned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh man, you know, and just, uh, so I'm, I'm curious about how to 
equip people for that and how to cheer them on and commission them into their workplace. I mean, people spend most of their waking hours there, you know, um, whether that's doing childcare or uh, working in working from home or working on a work or trying to find a job or or working in a company like just this is people's you know most of their life and so it's it's forming them it's spiritually forming them more than probably anything else if you if we're going to be honest and so I'm really curious about ways to do that and to do that better and I think that that will always be a top uh, question for me as a pastor because I so care so deeply about the way people are investing their time and their energy and uh, want them to feel to feel known and seen and to, to know that God's there with them and that there's no such thing as a, a secular space. I think that's one thing I'm curious about. I think I'm, I think I'm, I've debunked this idea in my own brain that there's sacred and secular. I think there's sacred and desecrated and the people of God get to go in and reconsecrate desecrated spaces all the time. And, and so what have we done by, by assuming that sacred spaces don't exist beyond the walls of churches? And so I'm definitely really curious about that right now. And, and wrestling through that in a good way. Good. That's a good word. And, and both of those are worth wrestling about. Even just the thought of the problem of evil, it's one thing to have it sort of out in the ether and have mm-hmm. to wrestle with it occasionally when you know we have a friend going through cancer or something. Um, you cannot be on social media today and not have mm. to live in that tension. If you cannot live in the tension, yeah. then you need to go without. Because there is yeah, yeah. so much. It used to be we'd say on the news, it's really easy to not turn news on. It's really hard to not see these things through our phones, to see these things through our desktops. And um, I just uh, encourage you guys listening to continue to keep that question in front of you that Steph's encouraging us to ask is, God, where are you in this? And God, how are you renewing yeah. all things in this? Um, it's okay to not give a pat answer. So yeah, I appreciate that. So, so good. So needed. So timely Steph, We always want to ask this question on the podcast. We care about the health and longevity of leaders. So how do you stay healthy? Give us as practically as possible. What are some ways that you stay healthy in any area of life? Oh man. It's so funny because, um, I'm always telling people like, you guys don't understand, like I need a lot of help. And <laughs> Like, you know, it's hard for leaders to admit they need help. I think saying that you need help is a good thing. But for me, that doesn't look like waiting until I'm like, I need help out of a sense of desperation. It looks like saying like, okay, so I've got my therapist, I've got my spiritual director, I've got my coach for my I I do um, boxing, like recreational boxing is my kind of workout these days. And so I got my coach there who's like, you got to come. I got people that are, are coaching me in leadership. I've got folks that are keeping me on track with my physical health. And, uh, there's just all these people, it's like this team to keep me functioning as a person. And I just, I I honestly, it means financial investment at times. It means, uh, time, which sometimes feels like an even more precious currency. Um, and I used to look at life, like I don't have time to take care of myself in these ways and to eat better and to find time to work out. And now I think of it as I don't have time not to, because every time I make the choice away from something that's going to give me the energy and strength that I need to do what I feel called to, I'm going to take some minutes away, you know, and uh, that shift took a while for me. But now that it's that's where I'm at, I have no problem saying like, I got to get all these people lined up to keep me going as a person. And um, I'm super grateful for for those people. They know who they are. Um, and um, honestly, I like I, I had some of them in the back of the book as like acknowledgments because I just know without my spiritual director and I have been working together for 11 years and she's basically, you know, if you don't know what a spiritual director is, she sits with you and she'll say like, I listen to you with one ear and to the Holy spirit with another. And then 
what does she do? She asks me spiritual questions. Like that's exactly it. And without somebody who I've met monthly with for 11 years asking me spiritual questions, would I have written a book about how important it is to keep asking me spiritual questions? Probably not. So there it is, you know. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. And of course, congrats on The Labor of Love. Uh, That is your book, Stay Curious, How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith. Steph, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Shine, shine, we focus so long.